Well, as you said, um, we are in Hilliard. I think Willard is north of Ashland somewhere. It's, uh, I'm aware of it, but I've never, never been there. Uh, but uh, Hilliard is on the west side of Columbus, so if you, if you look at Columbus there, we're just right there on the west side. Uh, 270 is the outer belt, and Hilliard is kind of just glued to 270 right there. So uh, our church is right off of Cemetery Road, which is a main road there, and we're only a couple stoplights away from 270, so it's very convenient. Uh, but we, uh, we started, well, November 19 is our five-year anniversary, so we had all of the best intentions when we planted. We had a building rented, and we found out uh, we, my dad and I drove, we rented a U-Haul, and we drove up to Howell, Michigan, and there was a church that was getting rid of all their pews, and getting chairs, and they donated to us nine pews, and I think 26 matching chairs, uh, wooden chairs with like a rose-colored um, something. And, uh, but you know what? They were free. And so we loaded them all up, and uh, we were realizing quickly how challenging it was to try to, all those years of Tetris paid off getting all these uh, pews inside this uh, U-Haul truck. And we got them all down there, got them unloaded, and um, just a long story, but we found out the very next day after we signed the lease that we were lied to about the zoning on the building. It was zoned multi-purpose, but the uh, village of Upper Arlington would not allow us to have services there. So that is not how we intended to start. And so we ended up meeting for 18 months in a house and uh, saving money. We didn't have anything to spend it on, <laughs> so we were, we were saving money. And we, we went through, I think, eight uh, commercial real estate brokers looking for a building. We finally uh, got a building, and uh, God gave us a building. It wasn't even listed, and uh, just perfect. About a quarter of the price of everything that we had looked at in Hilliard. Hilliard is kind of expensive, and uh, so we've been there. We got there uh, August of 2019, and our grand opening into Hilliard after our remodel was March of 2020, which is famous for when COVID, COVID got rolled out, and so... Uh, our grand opening did not go as we had planned, and, uh, and nothing went as we had planned. And uh, so, uh, but God's faithful. He gave us, I think, five families to our church that year, 2020. Uh, so um, I will probably not be writing a book on church planning, um, but, but uh, uh, God is faithful. Uh, so uh, if you have, oh, uh, this is my wife, Carla. Um, I better not forget that. We have a long ride home. Uh, so my wife, Carla, we have four kids. We have a 16, a 14, a 12-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And uh, we were done after the three, and then God said, no, we're going to have another one. So we have four kids. Uh, they are hopefully um, behaving while we're gone, uh, but it's a blessing uh, to be here with you. Thank you for, for asking me. Um, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I sure do love you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. Father, I need your help tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would use me. I pray that I would say everything that I ought to say and nothing that I ought not. We sure do love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to James 14, if you will. James 4, verse 14.
James here says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. This, this verse is part of a sort of a bigger collection, a bigger thought. Talked about not, uh, about saying if the Lord wills and so forth. Uh, but he says, ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, vanisheth away. The title of the message is, for what is your life? This is an iconic phrase, and it's a popular sentiment. It's one that has spawned much content. There's a lot of songs in the rock music genre that have been written about the idea, what is life? Uh, One of the Beatles wrote a song titled, What is Life? And in it, he surmised that his life has no value without the, the woman that he loved. There's a song called, It's My Life, by a a rock musician named Bon Jovi, and in that he suggests that purpose and peace are found by gaining control of your life. The old rock group Kansas has a song called Dust in the Wind, and in that song they pine that all, you that, can, all that you can collect in life is empty and it won't buy you another minute, and that is true. Frank Sinatra famously has had a song called My Way, in which he declared that He was true to himself his entire life, and that is what gave value to his life. There's hundreds of examples of songs that speak to the value of life. And some of these have a small glimmer of truth, and some of them are just way off. None of them seem to capture the truth of God's Word. There was a, a movement through the young people a decade ago or so called YOLO. You only live once. It was everywhere. Songs, parody songs, t-shirts, all sorts of things. YOLO, you only live once. The funny thing is, is that wasn't a recent thing. It was attributed to a rap artist that he coined it, but he didn't really coin it. In the 1980s, there's a California ranch named YOLO, and in the mid-1800s, Johann Strauss named a waltz. You only live once in German. The phrase originally meant that we just have one life. We only have one life to live. And that we ought to live it to the fullest. But it sort of became a caricature in recent days justifying the most extreme behavior. Because, you know, YOLO. Do something stupid. Well, I drank nine beers today because, you know, you only live once. Well, if that's what you think really living is, You kind of missed it. C.T. Studd was an outstanding cricketer for Cambridge University in 1882. He and his brothers gained fame for their contributions to the sport of cricket. I don't know there's any better name for a group of athlete brothers than the Studd brothers. I just don't know how you top that. But then he got saved and he gave his life to Christ. He became a missionary, influencing six of his teammates from Cambridge University. To follow the Lord in mission work, they became known as the Cambridge Seven. He grew up in a wealthy home, but he began to see the value of life only in what was done for Christ. He wrote these epic words in his poem, Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
But you know, James had the same thought 2,000 years ago. He said, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for just a little time. Just a little time. And then vanisheth away. For what is your life? How would you define your life? Is your life defined by the weekly grind, followed by a couple days off trying to reset before you have to do it all over again? And then it's five days of the daily grind, and then it's two days off when you try to validate your five days of work. And if you don't have some type of validation, if you don't have enough amusement or enough entertainment, then it feels like the five days of the daily grind wasn't even worth it. That just that cycle, that what life is, that the value of your life? Well, it is for many Americans. We have a thing called the American dream, and that means different things to different people. I would probably define that, uh, my own personal definition of what I think it means to most people as, as finding a way to be successful at the thing that you love the most. And whatever that means, and that's not a biblical definition, that's just what I think people mean when they say that. And if you could sort of paraphrase it, it's how do I get rich doing what I want to do, right? That's the American dream. And it really just involves suing McDonald's, probably. You know, for many people, the the value of life is just clocking in and out, trying to stay afloat so that we can keep our house and our cars so that we can do it all again the following month. It's eating to survive so that we can work to afford to eat to survive. Sounds like a pointless existence. We have a stray cat on our property, and um, <clears throat> I have a 9 millimeter bullet with its name on it. Not really, I don't know the name of the cat. But my son is terrified that that's correct because he decided that he likes that cat. That cat has no purpose whatsoever. All day long it walks around trying to find something to eat only so that it can do it tomorrow. But that's how many Christians live. It does not sound to me like victorious Christian living. It sounds like the type of life that Satan would love for every Christian to have. John 10, verse 10, Christ said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Satan is a thief. Satan robs us of our security in Christ and he robs us of our joy and he robs us of our trust and he robs us of our time. You know, the most precious commodity you have is not money. Time. You can lose a fortune and make it back. But if you forfeit a decade, you're not getting it back. You can never recover a lost day. Satan would like nothing better than to see every Christian squander every day of their usefulness for Christ. Satan wants to see us squander our lives. But Christ came to give us abundant life. It's an interesting thing because Christ said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Well, who, who is the thief he's talking about? He's talking about Satan. I am come that they might have life. There's a contrast here. Satan came to steal your life, but I came to give you abundant life. 
if we're not careful, we think all that we have in our relationship with Christ is just fire insurance. Like, we had this vast debt, and we did, and Christ paid that debt. But it's more than just that. We say about grace, we define grace as unmerited favor, but it's really not that. Unmerited favor suggests that I got something I did not deserve. But what it really is, is favor against merit. Because we deserve to be vastly in debt, and we were given a vast inheritance. It's not just that we had our debt zeroed out. It's not that we started at zero and were given something. We started well below zero and we were given something incredible. Joint heirs with Christ. Christ came to give us abundant life. And what exactly is abundant Christian life? A couple things. First, it's limitless power. Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. This is a popular verse. It's a popular slogan. You'll see this verse on t-shirts. People walk around, I can do all things through Christ. And it's wonderful. We know this verse. It's a good one. But if we're not careful, we only wear the wristband or we respond to the sentiment on the days when we don't need him, right? The days when our loan got approved and we say, I can do all things through Christ. That's, that's when we claim this verse. We claim this verse when we don't need to claim this verse. That's when we feel faithful, right? Not faithful as in not missing. Faithful as in full of faith are the days when I feel like everything's working out. But that's not what faith is at all. Faith is when you can't see in front of your face but you walk anyway. I could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's easy to, to feel victorious when you're not in a storm. I know what it's like to be beat down, and I know what it's like to get downtrodden, and I know what it's like to be battered and bruised. If you're battered and bruised, you need to heal. You need to rest. You need to recover. But your recovery better be basking in the goodness of God. If your recovery is not basking in the goodness of God, you're in trouble. We have chickens at our house, and we have heat lamps. And they love to sit under the heat lamp. That's a good place for them for a few reasons. One, it's inside the coop. And that's a safe place. But I'll tell you what, they go all over the place during the day. They, hide, they lay eggs and try to hide them from us. It's a great game for our third kid because he has to go find them. We do not. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, when, when they get a little scratch or they get a little roughed up, they better get back in the coop and get under the heat lamp. You better bask in the goodness of God. If your recovery is spent focusing on the hurt or on the person who hurt you, you're not going to recover. You'll continue to pick at the wound. But may I suggest to you tonight that God is able? In Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31, Isaiah said, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? 
neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. You could try. You're not going to find it. His understanding is vast. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We love that verse. I've heard that verse ever since I was a little kid. Isaiah 40, 31. Sounds great. Sounds like a verse that was written to strong people. It was not written to strong people. It was written to weak people. Isaiah said, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he faints not, he's not weary. He giveth power to the faint. God offers us abundant life in which we can tap into his limitless power. You're feeling faint? This is for you. This is not for the people who feel strong. The people who feel strong are in trouble. The people who feel weak, well, they got a real shot at tapping into the limitless power of God. But there's more than just limitless power. There's a visible path. In Psalms, two verses, if you'd like to turn there, Psalm 18 and verse 28. Psalm 18 and verse 28. There's limitless power and there's a visible path. In Psalm 18, 28, For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. You know what that tells me about my candle? Sometimes it goes out. This is a familiar verse. Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. That was a memory verse when I was a little, little kid. I remember reciting that verse. What does that tell me? It tells me I have a visible path. Satan doesn't just steal our days away by keeping us feeling trapped in our weaknesses. He also obscures the path so that we wander. Some Christians lose a decade of their life in sin. Some Christians lose a decade of their life just wandering. We don't have to. That's not, that's not part of the abundant life that God offers us. So many Christians spend their lives wandering, looking for the path, never really accomplishing much for eternity. But God's Word is to be the guidance for our lives and our direction. I've had God change my course. Very difficult. Sometimes God says, go that way as hard and as fast as you can. You tell people, by God's grace, I'm going that way as hard and as fast as I can. And then God says a few, a few units of measure into it. You're going a different direction, son. What? Oh, that's, that happens from time to time. I served in a church for 13 years, and there were some very difficult circumstances there, but I refused to change paths until... God made it clear to me. I remember having a, a, a conversation with a dear friend, and he asked me, what's keeping you there? 
I said, God hasn't given me a green light. Well, I'll tell you what. Five years ago, God gave me a green light, told me to plant a church. So I did. But up until then, I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. I had a visible path. It has nothing to do with whether I liked the path. I had a visible path. That's part of the abundant Christian life. I have a couple friends who've married and remarried, citing irreconcilable differences. What does that even mean? I could tell you what. I found out on our honeymoon we had every bit of that. I don't know if you know this. He's female. We are not compatible. I can tell you that second and third marriages are often worse than the first because now we have a built-in excuse that the fault lies in the partner, right? Faithfulness is just hard work. Faithfulness involves going through many undesirable seasons, but the rewards of faithfulness lie on the other side of the struggles. There are some times for pastors where God changes the visible path for a church member. And that's difficult. It's difficult for the church member and it's difficult for the pastor. There's emotions and there's, there's hurt and there's all those things. You know, God did that with John Mark and Paul. And Paul didn't think it was a good decision. Paul wrestled with it, didn't he? Paul thought he was abandoned by John Mark and he thought that John Mark was going off into the business world and he was making bad decisions. Paul was not for that at all. But years later, God brought John Mark back into Paul's life. Only God had taught John Mark some things that he would not have learned following Paul around. And Paul later said, John Mark is profitable. You know what else, what else God did with John Mark? He had him go work in business with a bunch of Romans. And he learned the way Romans think. Romans, they were trying to build an empire. You know, they didn't care about Jews. They didn't care about genealogies. They didn't care about laws and traditions and all of that stuff. Well, it's no wonder that God used John Mark to write the Gospel of Mark. It's no wonder that it's only 16 chapters. It's the shortest of all the Gospels. The Jews didn't want to hear about genealogies. God used that John Mark to write the Gospel of Mark. It seems like John Mark had a visible path. And it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it's a visible path. It matters if you do. God's lighting it for you. What else is there in the Christian life? There's infinite potential. If you're still in Psalm 18, look at verse 29 infinite potential for by thee I have run through a troop and by my God I have I leaped over a wall mark 9 verse 23 Jesus said unto him if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth you first know, Samuel 14 tells the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer taking on a garrison of Philistine soldiers it's a remarkable story this is early in Saul's reign and the Philistines were mightier than the men of Israel. In fact, the Philistines would not let anyone in Israel have weapons. The Philistines would not let anyone in Israel be blacksmiths. In fact, 
If anyone in Israel wanted a weapon, they had to take a plowshare, they had to take a farming implement, and they had to go to a Philistine blacksmith and pay an exorbitant fee. In, in 1 Samuel 13, it tells us what the fee was. It's not relevant in our current currency, but it was a lot of money. It was insane, the amount of money it was. Like if you could buy a weapon for a couple hundred bucks, but it would cost you a thousand to turn a, a pickaxe into a sword. And it wasn't even a good sword. Well, it's not surprising that the people of Israel didn't have that kind of income. And the only people in the nation of Israel that had swords, King Saul, his son Jonathan. Just two people. Well, it's no wonder Saul was terrified of the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan told his armor bearer, the guy that carried his swords, he probably was trained to fight because he probably was Jonathan's sparring partner. He probably did not want to go fight a whole garrison of Philistines. In 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. If I was the armor bearer, I would have said, Okay, let's say that again. It may be. It Maybe, right? At least tell me you know for sure we have this victory. What are you saying? It may be. This sounds like a whim. This does not sound like something God told you in the middle of the night and you know the outcome already. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It's unbelievable. Jonathan said, For there is no restraint to the Lord, to save by many or by few. Jonathan told his armor bearer, there's only 20 of them. There's two of us. If I were the armor bearer, I would have said, wrong. There's one of you. I'm your caddy. Oh, there's two. Jonathan killed 20 men and a half acre of land and then God sent an earthquake, and the Philistines were so troubled that they began using their swords because they had swords, and they began killing each other. In the chaos, God used Jonathan and his armor bearer to kill 20 men, and he used the Philistines to kill the rest. And the survivors fled. Then the men of Israel chased them down and killed them. That is infinite potential. We rally around passages like this and we love to talk about what God can do. Surely God is able. But may I submit to you tonight that God is able to overcome your little problems as well as the mighty ones. If we're being honest, it's kind of weird because when we run into a big problem, those are the things that we get on our knees for and we say, you know what? God can give this to you. But it's, it's the little things that derail us. You left three minutes late for work and you allow it to ruin your week because God's not able. <laughs> it's unbelievable the little things that cause us so much grief. 
so much grief. Some of us believe that God can overcome the major hurdles in our lives, but we won't allow God to work in the small ones. The potential that God has to give you the home that you desire or the job that you desire the same potential that God has to help you overcome bitterness and anger. Well, I believe God's going to give us the home that I've been praying for for years. But God can't help you get over your hurt. Well, it's not that simple. Oh. The abundant Christian life that God desires for us is not one that is bound by bitterness and unforgiveness. Satan loves to see God's kids waste their abundant lives mired in hatred. You have an abundant life. Well, how would you define your life? By that hurt from years ago? That's what you think abundant life is? Not. An old man named Smead said years ago, forgiveness is letting a prisoner free. Finding out the prisoner was there's infinite potential and there's defined purpose. Turn to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Defined purpose. Very familiar passage here. I imagine this text is the <clears throat> topic of many messages during a month. Emphasis like this, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Living without purpose is an empty, a hollow existence. The abundant Christian life has a defined purpose. We are to win lost. Proverbs 11.30 is my dad's life verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. My pastor growing up, Jack Hiles, his life verse was Daniel 12.3, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Christ said, let your light so shine for men. We have a defined purpose. New methods of reaching people have always been controversial. Handwritten scrolls became printed pages, and printed pages became books, and books became digital readers. And some of us older folks struggle with some of that stuff. I'm for using all the modern methods available but let me just tell you this. If your church uses social media to reach people and mailers to reach people, that's wonderful. But that does not take the onus off of you, the individual, to reach the lost. You will not stand before God and you will not tell God, corporately, my church did all of this. Well, you might, but it won't make a big difference. You're going to stand before God and you're going to be judged according to your works. You're going to be judged according to your abundant life and how you used your abundant life for him. 
That's how we're going to be judged. Do do you give the gospel to the lost? At the end of your abundant life, how many will be in heaven because of you? And last, there is an eternal position. Abundant life, there is eternal position. And turn to John 10, verses 28 and 29. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. God has given us abundant life in Christ, and part of that is the security that we have in Him. But abundant life is more than just fire insurance. More than just knowing you're not going to hell. Romans 8, verses 16 through 18. Turn there, please. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters. It starts off in verse 1. It says, there's now therefore no condemnation. There's no judgment coming for me. And it ends with the love of Christ, and there's no way I can get away from it. It's awesome. It is awesome. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you think... The abundant Christian life is just not going to hell. And and that's worth shouting about. But if you think that's that's the totality of what you were given, you missed the point. You missed the point entirely. I remember, I don't remember the year, probably 2007 or something like that. I was working a trucking job and this guy stopped me and asked me if I'd heard about the new iPhone. That iPhone? Why do they call it iPhone? I still don't know why they call it that. He's like, this thing, you can do anything on it. I'm like, what do you mean you can do anything on it? Like, take pictures? He's like, oh, oh, yeah, you can do more than that. What else can you do on it? I mean, I remember having phones <clears throat> where they had cameras. They weren't any good, but they were cameras. Take a picture of something and show it to somebody and like, what is it? Uh, It's me. Oh. That's like four pixels. Terrible. And he was telling me, you can watch TV on this thing. You can do all this. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Well, now they've come so far. Now these phones, I mean, they can do anything. The phones that we have are more powerful. I remember, I think I was like 18. I bought a gateway computer. That was a big deal. I know I'm elderly now, but you'd be excited for me. <clears throat> so I, I could not wait to get the thing out of the box, put that thing together. This thing had like 256 megs of hard drive. Why aren't you excited about this? This is amazing. You could store like 6,000 sheets of text on there, typed pages, like 6,000 of them. 
You couldn't even store a song on there now. It's unbelievable. Now we have RAM, like 32 gigs of That's only got 32 gigs of RAM, and they laugh at you. Don't go to Micro Center. I don't know if they have Micro Center up here. It's like a computer store where they actually build the computers. I, I don't know. I just want something already made. Like, I don't, I don't know about this. It's unbelievable, the technology. Can you imagine having a, a cell phone, a smartphone that can do all this stuff and thinking that its only capability is a calculator? Can you imagine having the abundant Christian life and the only thing you think it does is keep you out of hell? Man, I'm joint heirs with Christ. I have an inheritance incorruptible waiting for me. Turn to Ephesians 3 and verse 13. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 13. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul's writing this to the church at Ephesus. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, does that sound like all you get is getting out of hell? And we have everything. We have eternal position. Our eternal position is cause enough for us to serve him while we still have time. I don't know if you're not serving God to your fullest right now. I don't know what Stopping you. If you get nothing outside of this message, get this. There is literally nothing worth not serving him. There is no relationship on this earth worth neglecting him. None. Not a spouse. Not a child. Certainly not a job. Well, I don't think that's right. I don't think God would want me to treat my family like that. Oh, really? Christ said to his disciples, think not that I'm come to send peace, but a sword. I'm come to set mothers and daughters at variance and fathers and sons. What do you think I came down here to make everyone warm and fuzzy? Some people will serve me. And their family may not like it. It's not that God hopes to divide families, but God wants to see who what individuals love him. The Bible doesn't give me any indication that I'll even know who she is in heaven. But I will know my Savior. We, we have all these cute things. Can't wait to see our dog when we get to heaven. I don't know how to tell you this. They're probably not there. 
I don't know where the rainbow bridge goes. Probably not heaven. But I will tell you, I'll see my Savior. There's not a single thing I can neglect him for here that I will think is worth it. There's no career or home or hobby worth neglecting him. We have so little time. But what is your life? David went through some struggles, didn't he? He spent 16 months in the cave of Adullam. I guarantee you that felt like way longer than 16 months. That had to feel like years and years. He was promised the throne of Israel, wasn't he? And when he was 30 years old, running from Saul, whose life he saved multiple times, he was made king of Hebron. Hebron is it's famous for not being Israel. That must have felt like the worst consolation prize. This is not what God promised him. He wasn't made king of Israel until he was 37. David struggled a lot. He went through some things that made no sense. You know what David, how David at the end of his life, how he categorized his whole life? I have been young, now I'm old. You know what it kind of sounds like to me? There wasn't no time in Adullam. There wasn't seven years, the king of Hebron, all these years as the king of Israel. No. I was young and I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. When I was young, life just trickled by. The older we get, the faster it goes. It's unbelievable. What is your life? Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet, stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy, or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say thy will be done, and when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life which will soon be passed. Only done. Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we sure do love you. Pray that you're pleased with this message. Pray that your Holy Spirit would use it. Help your people.
Father, I pray that you'd work in these hearts tonight. I ask these things in your name. We stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Music's playing. What a question. What is your life? Maybe you've got years before you. Many years. Maybe you think you have years. The truth of the matter is none of us know how much time we have and it doesn't matter of our age, to be honest with you. But what matters is we use the time we have to serve the Lord. What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We'll bring our invitation to a close. Again, thank you for that message, Pastor Connor.